Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. My friend David from Ellington, Connecticut, just um, reminded us to be praying during this season for everyone um, who's in the season of grief, you know, who, who lost someone in the year that now um, has passed. And so thank you, David, for that, um, that good reminder. I had on my, on my list of notes for this morning just a, an opportunity for us to reflect for a moment on what might have been lost in this past year or maybe better said, you know, something that died. And it might be a someone. It certainly might be a someone. And we want to be tending to um, tending to that grief. But it might also be a something. I mean, maybe some sense of hope died for you this past year. Um, maybe, like me, it was a dog <laughs> named Sassy. Um, maybe it was a thing. Maybe it was... A marriage. Maybe something died. Maybe there's a relational death where the, the person is still living, but you are estranged from them in ways that um, feels feels like a deep, deep severed wound. Let's be tending to all of that. And then let's also remember um, Christmas is not subject to our feelings. How do I better say that? Christmas is the good news of great joy for all people. And if we let anything supersede that, then we are, we are missing the point. So if you are saying to yourself, you know, Christmas is just a really hard time of year because of X, Y, Z, just recognize like Jesus came to resolve the issues of X, Y, Z. Like Jesus came to resolve the issue of death itself. Of the, of the penalty of sin, which is death. And yes, he came to resolve the power of sin in this life. So whatever that other laundry list might be, the addiction, the estrangement, um, the mental illness, the homelessness, all of these things are, um, are realities of the fall. And Jesus is the one who comes as the Savior from them all. And so... I'm going to really encourage you um, to to consider how you are approaching um, the conversations related to how you feel about celebrating Christmas. You know, it's just really hard to celebrate Christmas because I'm all alone. Really? Um, Jesus literally came from heaven to earth, put on human flesh to dwell among us so that you wouldn't be alone. Like, I... um, it's just really hard for me to celebrate Christmas because, you know, I'm not married. Hey, neither was he. 40% of the American population is single. You're not alone. You're not alone in your singleness. Um, and, I, and, I mean, you can literally go down the list of all of the 
reasons that people might gen up for it's just really hard to celebrate Christmas. Okay, let's just get ourselves on our knees in front of the manger and find it not difficult to worship Christ, the newborn king. Literally, if you need to get on the posture on your knees before your laundry basket and just say, I'm just, this is going to be my manger throne right now, and I'm just going to get on my knees in front of it, and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to glorify God that you came to dwell among us. No excuses. No, no worldly reasons why not. Let us give Christ his due this Christmas. It's just, it's just better than any reason we might offer up for not celebrating him. Um, the Friday Farm Report will be very brief. <clears throat> the water is frozen, and so, you know, dealing with that every day for the dogs and for the chickens. But uh, on the other end of the farm... The cows have the biggest, fluffiest coats I have really ever seen. These are cows that put on a winter coat like, I mean, just nothing, nothing you can imagine. Um, And then Jim sowed acres of turnips so that the deer would have, you know, something tasty to eat this time of year. And so let's just say I'm learning all kinds of new ways to use turnips. Did you know that you can like dice them and you can roast them? And they're, they're just delicious. So anyway, roasted turnips is on the menu now for Christmas dinner. Uh, guess who's joining us next? This is so exciting. I can hardly wait. Bill Arnold is joining us next. Yes, really, the Bill Arnold. Jump on the text line with your greetings and your questions for Bill. 877-933-2484. Bill Arnold, host of Afternoons with Bill Arnold and co-host of Real Recovery, joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Bill Arnold is with us here on Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Bill. Hey, Carmen. Hi, Paul. It's so nice to be with you. I I love being with my sister, Carmen. I'm so sorry to hear your voice is a little rough. So I'm I know. so glad to be on your show this morning. I'm so glad you're here and that you have something to share with us. What's on your heart about Christmas? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this for on and off every year for 20 years. I remember seeing a TV show where there was an old car that was discovered in a garage under about seven inches of dust. And it was not in good shape at all. And it got restored and polished. And the difference from start to finish was absolutely amazing. And I think sometimes our traditions about how we think of the stories of like Christmas, can be sometimes like a little bit of a dusty car that could use some restoring and some polishing. And I think the Christmas story might just be one of those. I mean, I look at the text and it records that Mary and Joseph went up from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So Bethlehem was built on a ridge, which is considerably higher than Nazareth. And don't we all hate going uphill? But when I think of the Christmas story, I always like to start with Joseph. I mean, if I were Joseph... I would, have done, I would have done a little bit of name dropping. Like, for example, I am Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathet, son of Levi. Most homes in town would have been open to him. I mean, let's face it, Carmen, Joseph was a royal. He was from the family of King David. I mean, the local folk called the town the city of David. 
even though the official name was Bethlehem. So those kinds of credentials would get you welcomed anywhere in that town. So turning away a descendant of King David in the city of David in a shame and honor culture would almost be an unspeakable shame on the entire village. And if I could just talk to the women just for a minute. In every culture, a woman about to give birth is given such special attention, regardless of circumstances. I mean, if there's moms or grandmothers listening right now, would you not help an extremely pregnant girl about to give birth? I mean, was Bethlehem some exception? I mean, a Jewish girl in a Jewish village and there was no help? The people would have felt no responsibility to help this couple find adequate shelter? Then, Carmen, there's that verse in Luke uh, where it says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first son, a son, uh, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I appreciate the NIV here. The King James says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I'll talk about the word inn in just a second. But let's just talk about while they were there. So while they were staying there, where were they staying while they were there? Now tradition has us left thinking that the birth happened the night they arrived, making it sound like Joseph was in some kind of panic state and accepted anything. Mm -hmm. You know, we think the Bethlehem Motel 6 had the no vacancy sign up. And the, and the, the Motel 6 owner was some heartless per person yelling, you can't see the sign? So, I mean, I, I repeat myself a lot because I need to say stuff over and over for it to stick. So when I look at Luke 2, I see Joseph returning to his home village, and he was a royal. I'm guessing most doors would have been open. He was, this, he was in the city of David, and he was in the house and the lineage of David. So in the Middle East, if you're in the house of so-and-so or the family of so-and-so, this was really a big deal. And let's not forget, Carmen, that Mary had relatives a very short distance away, like Elizabeth. Remember her when John right. leapt in her belly when Mary arrived pregnant with Jesus? I mean, maybe it's an hour away by donkey. You know, I'm just wondering how could a Jewish town fail to help a young Jewish mother getting ready to give birth? There's, yeah, there's my opening I statement. They, I don't think they did. <laughs> I think that you're going to point out that there wasn't a guest room available. But I'm getting there. That doesn't mean that they weren't housed. Of course. So let me just ask, and try to answer the two questions just for clarity. Where was this manger and what was the inn? Now, people that had money, people that had wealth, they would have had separate quarters for their animals. But the simple homes just had two rooms. One was for guests, and that room could have been attached to the end of the house or like be that prophet's chamber on the roof. You think of the story of Elijah in First Kings, where Elijah said, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying. So that's really more the illustration of a simple uh, first century home. So the main room would be a family room where the entire family cooked and, and slept and ate and lived. And the end of the uh, the end of the room next to the door would have been maybe a few feet lower than the rest of the floor or maybe blocked off with lots of heavy timbers or something like that. And, and each night into that area, the family cow or the donkey or a few sheep would be brought in. 
And every morning, those same animals were taken out and then probably tied up into the courtyard of the house. And then that stall area would be cleaned for the day. But a simple home like this really can be traced from the time of David up until the middle of the 20th century. So if the family cow is hungry in the middle of the night, kind of like I am at 2 in the morning, uh, she can get up and eat from the manger, which is cut right out of the floor of the living room. And the family also wanted the animals in the house each night because they would provide heat in the winter and they'd be safe from theft. I'm a host. Should we take a break? They had... No, if they had um, winter coats like my cows, there's no question they're supplying heat. Like, they just right. like ovens. No, totally. Right. I could imagine. I could imagine wanting to bring one in for the night. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so let's think of the this. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Bill okay. Arnold is our guest, and he's reflecting on Christmas. Go ahead. Let's think of this traditional home and how it might fit into the, the birth of Jesus. Now, if you think of like Old Testament stories, like First Samuel uh, in 28, Saul was a guest in the house of the medium of Endor when the king refused to eat. So the medium took a fatted calf that was in the house, mm-hmm. killed it, and prepared it for a meal. She didn't go get the calf from a field or the barn. It was in the house. So I think there's a little bit of an example of what it's like to have animals in the house. And I don't want to talk about Jephthah, but to mention that, I mean, Jephthah is on his way to war and makes a vow that if God will grant him victory on his return home, he'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of his house. He assumes it's going to be an animal, not his only daughter. Mm. But that's another another topic we can dive into some other time. So um, let's get to the word in. Uh, there's a couple of different words in the Greek that talk about the word in. And there's the Greek word katalama, which is the word for upper room, which is the word that's used in, in the text of Luke, that there was no room in the inn. And that word katalama means the upper room of the little houses was not, were not available. So we understand that there was no room for them in the inn. Now, uh, the other word for inn in the Greek is the word pandahion, which means to receive all. So like in the story of the Good Samaritan, where he takes the wounded man on his donkey to the inn, that's the Greek word pandohion. So there are two very different words. And in the Luke text, it's the word katalama. So there, was, there was no room in the home. So um, in other words, the katalama was occupied by other people. So it would, it would have been quite possible that a host family would have so lovingly and graciously accepted Mary and Joseph into the family room of their house. And now, of course, the family room would have been cleared of the men for the birth of the child, and then the village midwife and the other women who would have assisted with the, with the birth, and then the child would have been uh, born and wrapped, and Mary put this newborn uh, to bed in a manger filled with fresh straw and covered him with a blanket. And, and I are going to have to um, get into the like the recreation of the entire nativity scene because there's no women present in that in that uh crash that I get you know that comes with two shepherds and two sheep and three wise men and camels and um you know in a in a little shed I um, know Carmen or a cave like there's no women um and so I don't think that's faithful either to to the reality and having the wise men present at the birth also not faithful to the reality. But you know, now we have Santa Claus in some crush scene, so it's um, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Hey, we have to take a very brief break. When we come back, Bill Arnold is going to continue 
sharing with us about the Christmas story. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. TikTok. Yeah, TikTok is an app, but TikTok is also the reality of the year winding down to the end. So we're making lists. We're checking them twice. Things done, things left undone, gifts given, gifts we still need to buy. Would you help us with a gift before the end of the year? Time is ticking away, and this ministry is not possible without you. So I'm wondering if before the end of the year, you would make your best tax-deductible gift to support Faith Radio. Your gift right now keeps the good news in front of more people everywhere, all the time, anywhere, accessible through the Faith Radio app and at MyFaithRadio.com. So thank you for giving by clicking the link in the show notes or by giving today at MyFaithRadio.com. TikTok! Our friend Bill Arnold is here on Mornings with Carmen. With my um, froggy voice, we're just going to let Bill continue talking because his um, beautifully lilting voice is unpacking for us some wonderful gifts from the Christmas story. So, Bill, proceed. Well, thank you. Yeah, Carmen, thank you. Let's get to the shepherds because I, I, I believe the shepherds in the first century, according to rabbinic traditions, were sort of labeled as unclean. I still want to do a lot more uh, study on shepherds because Moses was a shepherd for 40 years. David was a shepherd. So, But I think shepherds in the in the first century, according to rabbinic traditions, were labeled as unclean. And obviously, they were terrified when the angels appeared at the sight of the angels. And then they were asked to go visit the child. So uh, I'm trying to think from their point of view, they're lowly uh, shepherds labeled as unclean. If this child was the Messiah, would the would the parents not reject them if they tried to visit? How how in the world could these shepherds be convinced somehow that they would they could expect a welcome? And I think the angels uh, maybe even anticipated this uh, kind of anxiety and and told the shepherds they would find the baby wrapped, um, just like the way these these peasants would wrap their own children their own newborn kids. And they were told that that he'd be lying in a manger, that they would find the Christ child most likely in an ordinary peasant home such as theirs. And then they visit the child and they're welcomed. And then it says in the text that they left praising God for all they had seen and heard, or all they had heard and seen. So it seems to me that when they arrived, they were able to see that the quality of the hospitality was great. That that the Holy Family was in perfectly adequate accommodations, not in some filthy stable. Um, I think if when they got there, had they found the situation stinky and dirty with a frightened young mother and a very desperate Joseph, they would have said, okay, this is crazy. You're coming home with us. Our women are going to take care of you. And I think within minutes, these shepherds would have moved the family to their own little their own little homes, because the the honor of the entire village would rest on their shoulders, and they would have sensed a real deep responsibility to do their duty. And the fact that they they walked out without moving the family, I think the shepherds realized that there's there couldn't have been better hospitality that they could have offered than what had already been offered to them. And I, I know Middle Eastern people have such an incredible capacity for um, showing honor and respect to guests. 
And, you know, even if you go back as early as uh, Genesis 18 with Abraham and his guests, and I'm pretty sure uh, you can learn all about hospitality in those first eight verses. But I think the shepherds left this beautiful little holy family while praising God for the birth of the Messiah and also for the quality of the hospitality in the home which he was born. And I, I think that's part of the awesome part of the story to the shepherds is that the child was born for the likes of the shepherds, the outcasts. So my, the, the way I look at it, I, I sort of, after 20 years of kicking this around, I, I think that probably Jesus was quite easily born in the normal surroundings of, of a peasant home sometime after they arrived in Bethlehem. Uh, I don't think there was a, a heartless innkeeper doing the right hand wave saying we're closed, you know, and a member of the house of David not being humiliated by rejection as he returned to the the village of his family's origins. So I think the people of Bethlehem, you know, they really offered the best they had, and I I think they they preserved their honor as a as a community, and. At the shepherds, they weren't clueless men without the presence of mind to help a really needy family of strangers. So I'm kind of inclined to think that that Jesus, you know, was likely born in a in a two room village home, just the kind that were in the Middle East and that have been around for the last three thousand years. I know it would mean restaging our Christmas plays, uh, <laughs> which would be a big headache. But uh, if they were rewritten, I think the story would be more spectacular, not less. Yeah, and I think it's a worthy, it'd be a worthy rewrite. These weren't, um, you know, these weren't your average shepherds. Um, You know, these were the shepherds of Bethlehem, the one place where the lambs were raised for slaughter in the temple. So these were, these were the, if they're, if they're like our exalted shepherds in Israel, it's these guys, because they are the ones entrusted with the flocks from which the lambs that are going to be uh, taken for temple sacrifice. This is where they're. This is where they're born and raised, and they would understand the concept of the Lamb of God, born to take away the sins of the world. So mm-hmm. I think you're spot on um, when you note the uniqueness of these um, of shepherds in general, but of these shepherds and the privilege, um, the task, the privilege, the honor that God bestows upon them. I, I have no question. That you're exactly right. They would have, they would have made sure that the holy family had everything that they needed. Um, if when they arrived, they didn't already have it. And since we have no indication that they did anything other than um, receive, you know, like just it sounds like they listened, they saw, they heard, and they left. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the verse I keep getting stuck on, Carmen, is while they were there, um, and I'm thinking, well. It's like if Carmen goes on vacation, while she was there, she stubbed her toe. Uh, Would I say, well, the minute she arrived on her vacation, she stubbed her toe? No, it's while you were there, something happened. So while they were were there, where were they staying while they were there? They were staying somewhere. Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. And I I, okay. I think it, it changes my thinking to go the the imminent uh, birth on the arrival that evening is, I think, what is the tradition. And the scripture just doesn't say that. It says while they were there, it came time for the, for her to, to give birth. And I, I think there's there's so much um, history with David in the uh, with Joseph in the city of David, his hometown, 
I mean, just the credentials he would have and the acceptance he would have. And then just the way women take care of other women. Not to mention, she's got an aunt within within walking distance or donkey ride. Maybe it's an hour by donkey. You know, and if she's uh, in need of accommodations, I'm sure Elizabeth would have said, Mary, Joseph, why didn't you come to our house? We would have taken care of you. Well, and, and that miracle baby has already been born. And so there's no question that the region knows that Zachariah and Elizabeth have had a baby. And there's no question that they know exactly the story about that because Zachariah is one of the priests. Like, he would have been sharing it. Like, this is, this is not information in this region that wouldn't have been well known. Um, and so Mary spent months with Elizabeth early in her pregnancy. And so, you know, again, they would have ma- they would have known people. There would have been people right there um, totally. uh, on whom they could have relied. Yeah. Yeah. So as I kind of study this story every year and I go I go through all the resources I can find and some of the contextual books I, I read on this topic, uh, one of which was uh, written by Kenneth Bailey, and I thought that was very helpful, is mm-hmm. when you put it in context and you start to understand uh, all the elements and components, you go, of course they were cared for. Um, so and I, I think the story originally was written, I think it was called The Proto-Evangelism uh, of James, which was written about 200 years by a non-Jewish person after Jesus was born. So uh, the story that that we pretty much embrace today as tradition was written uh, to, about 200 years after Jesus was born. And is extra-canonical, yeah, outside of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love yeah. Ken Bailey. Yeah. I don't know that we've ever talked about him, but... Um, I love him. We could we could talk about I do too. his work sometime. That'd be really fun. Yeah, he's passed on, gone to the Lord, I but uh, I would have loved he's, to have met, met him, talked to him. He's fantastic. But, totally fantastic. Yeah. All right, we have to leave it there well, because um, Susie's okay, coming up next. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was always, I'm always glad to be a warm-up act for Susie. No, right? I know. Me too. Yeah. I, I just yeah, yeah. great. Such a Christmas gift yeah. to me that you came on this morning. Thank you so much. Well, you asked, and I said yes, so thank you, Carmen. Thank I've you. Been, uh, been looking forward to this. Have a wonderful Christmas. And you too, Such Paul. Such a privilege. Merry thank Christmas. Thank you. All right. Merry Bye-bye. Christmas. That's Bill Arnold, host of The Bill Arnold Show here in the afternoons with Bill Arnold, um, also the co-host of Real Recovery. You can uh, check all of that out at MyFaithRadio.com. If you haven't done so before, you ought to be listening to Bill um, every afternoon and every Saturday. Now, we're going to do that again. We're going to do it again the next part of the show with Susie Larson. I know. How fun is that? Yep. Susie Larson um, is joining us next. I don't think she needs any more introduction than that. So I think we'll just leave it right there. That's coming up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Susie Larson is joining us now. I feel like she needs no introduction, but it's appropriate to introduce her. Um, She's a wildly popular author and motivational speaker, and she is the host here on Faith Radio of Susie Larson Live. I love her like uh, no other sister in Christ. It is Mm -hmm. my great privilege um, to welcome you to Mornings with Carmen. Dear Carmen, I'm so sorry that you're under the weather. What an honor to join you, and I, I know your listeners love you, and I trusting they're all praying for you. Yes, I had one who texted in and said, 
I, I wondered who was guest hosting today. When <laughs> it's, it's your younger brother. <laughs> we always go down an octave when we're sick, right? <laughs> it's someone with a frog. Yes. It's, mm. it's, yes. Um, you. you have been um, on, on your show for the last month on Fridays. You have been walking with us through Prepare Him Room. Um, I love what you're talking about in terms of like the difference between a sacred pace and hustle mm-hmm. um the rat so in race, this yeah. sort of mm-hmm. giving god sacred space conversation could you just wander around a little bit in that with us i'd love to do that and uh, first of all just say hey to all your listeners i'm watching that text line and and people loving what bill just said and loving you so much so it's such an honor to come to the table with you this morning carmen and you know, my whole purpose on these Fridays, I'm drawing content from Prepare Him Room, but also just some very vulnerable stories from my own life, because as it is with most people, you know, we love this time of year, and yet so often it's when some of our hardest things happen. And Carmen, I don't even know if you've noticed this, but some some of the most godly saints that I know go home at Christmas. I, and I, there's something about that that's very interesting to me. Where we, And so those of us who are left here are dealing with some kinds of grief, loss, hurt, disappointment, and that kind of thing. And so my whole point in these four Fridays is to say that God cares very much about our endings and our beginnings. He cares very much about the way we start things and about the way we finish things. And that's why the enemy works so hard to preempt and disrupt and destroy. I mean, you see it all through Scripture. When he hears about potential beginnings, he tries to go after and destroy, like killing all the babies. You know, think about that. And uh, when you look at how close we are to wrapping up this year, and we're about to enter the new year. The temptation, if we're not careful, is to look around to see, because it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, and it is an amazing time of the year. But if you have all these unresolved hurts in your soul, things you've, lives you've picked up when life lets you down this year, uh, issues that you haven't really sorted through with the goodness of God, and they've accumulated in your soul because you've been so busy, the temptation then is to look around. Everybody else is throwing caution to the wind. Everybody else is indulging. I'm jumping in with both feet. And what we tend to do then is eat too much, drink too much, spend too much, commit to too much, and it works in the temporary, where we don't feel the stuff we've been postponing all year long, but then you wake up on the new year and you've literally lost ground and not gained ground. I'm not trying to be a killjoy saying, you know, don't enjoy a few treats and definitely enjoy a good party. Absolutely. But we all know the difference between you know, holy celebration and numbed out indulgence. And so my whole purpose is to create some sacred space to say, you know what, uh, Christmas, my, my, one of my guests, uh, Levi Lusco, was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he says, Christmas was born in the dark. And um, Jesus, you know, this is what's true. He didn't come to a perfect time. He came at the perfect time, and it was a crisis time. It was a time of oppression, of injustice. He came at the perfect time. So if you're in a struggle, in a trial, Christmas is for you. I mean, this is Jesus. Is he came at the perfect time, and he's coming again. His arrival is nearer than it's ever been before. So instead of numbing out, what if you made some space to say, Lord, uh, I want to end this year well. I want to give you some time and space to speak to me about some of these things that I've not resolved yet, and I want fresh revelation. 
because there is a promise from Scripture. I mean, this is true, Carmen, and you know this. God treats his children differently. It's in Scripture. I mean, he's good to both the righteous and the wicked. That is true. But he confides in those who fear him. He draws near to the humble. He says, call on me and I will answer you and tell you great and mighty things you do not know about the times to come. And so if we could enter in that way to just see that that all of heaven is on our side. The Spirit of God is alive in us. There are fresh revelations that you need for your next place of promise. So instead of numbing out, what if you created some space to say, some of these chapters of my story this year didn't go like I expected. Lord, what, what, do, you want to, what do you want to tell me about those things? Uh, what kind of revelation do you have for me as I'm entering into this new year? And I've made, I'm so passionate about this, Carmen. I've made it a habit and a practice for the last number of years to practice a measure of restraint in this season so that I can be clear-eyed and clear-minded and my heart is awakened to the things of God. So that's what we've been talking about on these uh, four Fridays. That is so good. Um, when you talk about spending some time resolving things that need resolving and seeking a fresh, fresh revelation, that's so that's so different than yeah. waiting until the new year comes and making some kind of you know resolution. What I hear you saying is, I'm going to spend time, going to get some sacred space with the Lord. I'm going to resolve the things that need resolving from this year. I'm going to seek a fresh revelation. And then I'm going to respond in obedience. That's the engine of transformation. Yeah. Um, And so that doesn't include resolution at all. This is revelation, obedience, leading to a transformed life. Boy, you said it. It's not resolution. It's revelation. And it's the revelation of God that changes us, you know? And uh, when you get before God, you know, one of my repeat guests is Dr. Rob Reamer, and his whole, the whole core of his ministry is, it's for revival, but it's learning to live as a deeply loved child of God. And he always says that when you want to apply the truth of who you are is exactly at the moment that the lie is vying for position in your soul. So you can dare to ask, what would a deeply loved child of God do in this situation? How would a deeply loved child of God respond in this situation? And I would say one of the reasons people dread maybe going to their, some love going home for Christmas, others are looking for reasons and excuses not to, is because maybe they've been kicking the can on the field all year long and not dealing with some of those things, and then they piled up, and they're still not any more convinced now than they were last January that they're a deeply loved child of God. And so when you start to get revelation about that, and you start to change from the inside out, you can show up in even difficult relationships, and you're not as moved because God has your, your life is on the rock, and it's just such a powerful thing. We need revelation, and that's the only way transformation will come. We're not about bootstrap Christianity, hiking yourself up, and those things last two, three weeks, maybe. But internal transformation because of a holy revelation, boy, that changes things forever. Talk a little bit about how you carve out space and time, because you're really good at this. Um, you're, you are good, um, you and Kev, at having some regular rhythms of, like, this is carved out time, and it becomes a sacred space for the two of you to spend together. Would you be willing to share a little bit about that? You Sure. I, you know, most years, what we have done is just a partial fast. And in my book, Prepare Him Room, I'm asking you for a daily fast, but I promise you, these aren't hard fasts. In that book, uh, I'm like one day asking you to sh- uh, fast from commercialism or showmanship or comparison. 
um, trying to prove something or overdoing it in a way that costs you that you can't afford because you're trying to save face. Another day, fasting from shame and regret, those kinds of things. So, But what Kevin and I have done over the last handful of years is usually in this month, we won't, we'll just do a really easy partial fast where we won't eat sweets or snacks or party foods during the week and we have them on the weekends. Uh, this year, we did a 21-day partial fast. It was an intermittent fast, a little more strict in November because we were going after some things for our kids. We just, we, they all needed breakthroughs in certain ways. And I'm telling you, Carmen, day two, day 12, day 13, we marked significant breakthroughs. And, uh, but we weren't done yet. So we did another 21 day and it was just an intermittent fast. We ate in an eight hour window and again did the no sweets, snacks, party foods during the week. I can't even explain to you the, the nearness of God and the clarity of hearing his voice. Um, there's nothing like him. There's no substitute for his presence. And what I found myself doing, Carmen, is the things that are kind of breaking my heart or things I'm just longing to see a breakthrough in. Uh, I found myself thanking God, not for them, but in them, because I got to experience more of God and he's better than the answer. You know, I mean, any gift from his hand pales in comparison to knowing his heart. And I got to know him more. And I just, I, I marvel at his goodness. And, um, I was just reading in First Peter this morning. It says, now that you've tasted the goodness of God, cry out for more nourishment. And it's that kind of bold, you know, um, audacious appeal to God that he absolutely loves from his kids. That's so good. That's so good. We're having the privilege of a conversation this morning, like a wonderful Christmas gift with our friend Susie Larson. We're going to come back in just a moment, and we're going to um, have her introduce us to waking up to the goodness of God. As we look at the year ahead, there's a year right before us. How will we be waking up to the goodness of God in the midst of it? It's Susie's forthcoming brand new book, and um, we're going to invite her to talk about it next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 2023 is almost in the books. We're about to turn the page to 2024, and as we do so, what kind of plans are you making to be in the Bible every day? Every day I ask, where in the Word are you today? Which implies that I wholeheartedly believe that you and I need to be in the Word of God every day. If you don't make a plan to do it, you're not going to do it. So I want to invite you into our Bible in a Year reading plan available right now at MyFaithRadio.com. You always say you want to do it. This year, Let's commit together to spending time every single day in the Word of God so that every day you'll have an answer to the question, where in the Word are you today? The Word of God will be getting into you before you get out there into the world that God so loves. So get your Bible in a Year plan now at MyFaithRadio.com. Our wonderful friend Susie Larson is here celebrating Christmas with us on this um, December 22nd on Mornings with Carmen. Yes, this is Carmen LaBerge, even if it doesn't sound <laughs> like me. <laughs> um, Susie, you have a book that is going to come out in mid-January. Um, we want to celebrate that, first of all. It's mm. exciting every time it happens. This is Waking Up to the Goodness of God. Can you tell us a little bit about it? 
Yes, subtitle is 40 Days Towards Healing and Wholeness. And, uh, you know, most of you who know a bit about my story know that there's been a, I've had a significant health battle over the last 30 years of Lyme disease and had a pretty massive relapse about eight years ago, worked my way through it and then got knocked back again a bit. And it, you know, it's been a challenge. I'm, I'm doing great right now. I'm so grateful. But um, this happened before the pandemic. And what I'd realized, I had a friend who lovingly confronted me and said, it's like you're living bracing for impact. And it's true. I was, but I really didn't think that was anything other than a logical consequence of an unpredictable disease. But when I took that to heart and I I brought it to the Lord, it really was a mistrust of God. I was waiting for the next shoe to drop. And it broke my heart because it revealed um, um, a hidden disappointment in God. And this is why we need community, Carmen, because I couldn't see what I couldn't see. Didn't know what I didn't know until that loving friend pointed me upward and then I just had to repent because I was accusing God of things he wasn't guilty of. But that was all so buried into my soul that I was still showing up every day, worshiping in the word, loving, you know, walking with people on my show, all of that. But there was that unresolved pain. And that's my whole point, what I was saying earlier in the show, that lots of Christians are bleeding under their armor. Lots of Christians, if they give some time and space, can say, you know, God, if I'm honest, I'm hurt. You know, you could have intervened. Why didn't you? And we've got to sort that stuff out. And so when I started to peel back the layers, I saw a heart that was broken, that at this age, I was still battling the way that I was. And and the Lord was able to bring me into such a uh, place of perspective that, again, you know, when you come into that love and revelation of God, you no longer accuse him of things the devil is guilty of. But the truth is, whatever God allows, he redeems. So I started to practice you know, instead of bracing for impact, because I know enough physiologically, that's just bad for your cells. It's bad for your soul. And it keeps you in a posture from receiving, because if you're blocking, you're not going to be receiving. So I just started to practice meditating on the goodness of God, anticipating the goodness of God, because that's a very biblical concept. And something happened even in my body that just surprised me. And so this book is really about helping us move from bracing for impact to anticipating God's goodness. And I say that I, I'm so grateful that that happened prior to the pandemic because the whole world in the last few years has uh cultivated a posture of waiting for the next shoe to drop. I mean, that's what the enemy wants. From one crisis to another, he wants us in a posture of locked elbows, because again, you can't receive when you're blocking. And uh, when when we move into a place to go, my, my fears are, they might even be legitimate, and they're tangible and palpable, but God is greater than those things. So as I practice and practice meditating on the goodness of God, something will shift in my spirit. So the whole goal of this 40-day journey is literally to retrain your heart and your mind and your soul to turn towards God to say, every good gift comes from you. Every good gift in my life has a gift tag on it. To Carmen, from God. You know, to Julie, from God. To Mary, to Jill, to Brenda, from God. To David, from God. He knows what you like. He knows what breaks your heart. And they often say, if you were to wake up tomorrow— with only the things you thanked God for today, well, what would you have? You know, we're more blessed than we can possibly imagine. We, we not only have things to thank him for because of the blessings in our life, we can thank him for the things that he prevented, things that never happened to us. We got thousands of reasons to be grateful. And as we start to really rightly think about God, it will change things from the inside out. And my last thought about that is you don't default to a position of faith, hope, love, 
or holy expectation. You don't. You default to pessimism, uh, to guarding, bracing for impact, to fear, doubt, worry, because that, that's the gravity of the world that we live in. So this takes practice. And so I'm super excited about this book. I'm praying it's just a healing balm for many. My sample readers told me they, many of them cried through pr- plenty of chapters because they realized they had their own unresolved issues with God, and they needed to resolve those so that they could see him as he is and not as he seems. I appreciate that it's 40 days. That's going to give us an opportunity to, you know, work it in, in terms of um, a practice in our lives. That's, yeah. You know, it's not, it's not just a biblical number. Um, it, it actually like scientifically works itself out um, mm-hmm. in terms of our ability to cultivate a real practice in our lives. Um, I guess I'm wondering, Susie, you know, the, the person who's listening and they're like, you know, I, I do possess the peace that passes all understanding, but I am not a person of peace. There's mm. that conflict is what you is what you're addressing. It feels like. Oh, very, very much. And again, I I, I think that we all have things because life moves so fast. It's and we might diminish them, but we have things in our story and our soul that we've not resolved with God because that takes time, that takes work, and and life moves so so fast, and we might even look at something that's so little to go that was a slight by somebody, a poke, and and then you look at someone who's suffering terribly, and you compare, and you go, well, there's no comparison. I'm not giving time and space to this. But healing is never linear. You know, it's not a straight line. That thing that poked you could be very connected to something that happened to you when you were a child, and. So you've got to be able to trust God and not lean on your own understanding because he wants you to come to him with these things because he wants to bring truth. The Spirit will lead you into all truth, is what Scripture says, and it's the truth that will set you free. I mean, you've got to believe that God sings over you, that he smiles at you and he looks at you, but you're not going to want to spend time with someone who's perpetually disappointed in you. And so the enemy is just constantly building a case, using your hurts to build a case against God. And then he further wants to develop such fears in your life based on the things that God allowed in your life, so that you'll project worst-case fears into a future that God's not in. And if that's how we live bracing for impact, is we think, if God allowed this much, there's no end and limit to what he will allow. And you try to imagine your worst fears coming true in the absence of God. But if you're a believer, there just is no scenario, no moment in your future that God's not in. So the enemy's the liar. He's the one building a case. And my husband always says, you cultivate a really beautiful lawn, um, you get rid of weeds by cultivating a healthy lawn. You know, the more health you you cultivate into your lawn, the more the life of the weed is choked out. So we're not going to give the enemy more airtime than he deserves, but we're going to put our eyes on the Lord. We're going to magnify him, and we're going to, again, work to see him as he is. But that literally does take time and practice where you meditate on the goodness of God. And I'll say this one more thing and interrupt me if you need to go to break, but um, – uh, Dr. Tim Jennings, I like to have brain scientists on my show because I, I care so deeply about inner healing, wholeness, because I think it affects how we show up in life. And he gave my listeners uh, an assignment a few years ago, and I bring it up all the time. He said, Susie, if every one of your listeners took 15 minutes a day to meditate on the love God has for them, not on the love that they have for God, they can do different 15 minutes for that, but if they took 15 minutes a day, whether it's a playlist, a scriptural you know, song playlist, or just verses that they're meditating on, but they're pondering the case that, oh my goodness, he loves me. You did that 15 minutes a day for 30 days. He said you'd literally change your physiology, your brain neural pathways, and of course, your faith perspective. Mm. 
So maybe you take that assignment and don't wait till January 1st. Apply it now. I mean, there's something about this season that there's, uh, I don't know, I feel like the, the veil is thin or something where you create space. God wants to speak to you. So don't postpone that because he wants so much to have you end well and, uh, and begin well as well. I love that. Thank you, my sweet sister. Merry Christmas. I love you so much. Love you so much. That's Susie Blessings Larson. Blessings to you as well. All right, we have one minute. We have one minute. Here's what I want to say. I love you. I'm so grateful for you. Um, This year together has been a great blessing. Uh, Next week, we have prepared a great series of shows for you. They include teachings on the gifts that come with the gift of the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll tune in and unwrap each one of those with me. Um. But I want to end the year by saying Merry Christmas and that I love you. And I want us to be the people who go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. I know that you are with me in this mission of encouraging one another in our walk of faith and extending the gospel to more and more people. So thank you for every minute that we have shared together. Thank you for those of you who have financially contributed to the ministry. You actually make what's happening right now possible. Um, Thank you for, thank you to Paul Perot. I'll just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Merry Christmas to each and every one. Have a great Christmas. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.